Well, I'm eager to preach the Word of God. Would you grab your Bibles and meet me in the book of Romans? Romans, we are continuing on in our Romans series today. Uh, we've been going through this now for a few months, <clears throat> and uh, literally when I say going through it, I mean verse by verse and line by line. We're in chapter 6, but we've gone through chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, and you know, this is one of the things that the Lord has called our church to. The Lord has called our church uh, to make sure that we are speaking in on what God is speaking in on. <laughs> the only way we do that is by looking straight at what God says through his word. And so if you'll give me some time today, I, I'd like to work through. We won't be here long. It's beautiful out, so I'm going to get you all out. But I want to have some time to work through what I think Paul is uh, addressing today. Uh, but before we get to it, let me just quickly express my desire to see you guys here on Wednesday uh, for our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. Notice I said prayer and Bible study because I, I think sometimes we treat prayer as a filler moment. And so the half an hour that we spend on our knees or sitting or whatever posture you choose to pray in, that half an hour, what we've done is we've allowed that to be the moment that we're, I'll just get there at 730 for Bible study, but the event starts at 7. Because prayer is so important. And so I'm asking you guys to be here. Men, I'm looking for you guys. Uh, we've had a conversation, so I'm looking for you guys to be in here to make sure that we are, uh, we're present and that we are really kind of what I was talking about last week, the ministry of presence, that we're here and visible. And our ladies know that we're praying along with them as well. And we'll be talking about worship. Chris Akimrenati is teaching on Wednesday. <laughs> I heard this brother his, uh, his theology on worship, and it is phenomenal. I've learned so much from him just about worship. Uh, and it, it's been good because he takes worship beyond the moment of the five songs we sing on a Sunday morning. That, that's just a piece of worship. But he talks about how worship can be a part of a lifestyle. So we'll talk about that on Wednesday. And I'm excited to watch him exercise a gift other than just playing. But God put a lot in that, brother, and I'm excited to see him uh, operate with that gift. All right, Romans chapter 6. Y'all good? Y'all yeah. going to talk back just a little bit? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Um, pick me up in verse 1. Here it is. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. Can we? How can we who are dead to sin live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Somebody say newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be like we will be the in uh, we will be the likeness of his resurrection for we know that our old selves were crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may rendered be, may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since the person who has died is free from sin now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God so that you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
You should underline verse 12. It's going to become very important. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any, any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Last verse, for the sin, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic that's really posed as a question. Once you look at your neighbor and help me to announce the topic today and say, are you really dead to sin? Don't expect the answer because that's a conversation. Turn around and look at somebody else and say, are you really dead to sin? Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, we, we echo the words of Deuteronomy 8.3. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so out of your mouth, oh God, you spoke and men wrote. Father, I pray, oh God, that we would be faithful to the scriptures today because it is your words breathed out on paper. So, Father, may we, may we be quick to not take notes but to apply. May we actually examine ourselves. There are some parts of the sermon I just, I just know are rocky. And I pray, oh God, that we would apply them. May we walk out and say, ouch and amen. So get at us today through your word. In Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Are you really dead to sin? A few years ago, I had the great privilege of talking to a group of teenagers, and these teenagers, uh, they, they didn't belong to any local church. They uh, didn't profess Christianity, and they didn't know what I did, but we just had a good conversation. And uh, somewhere along the line, they asked me the question. You know that question that you always get, what do you do for, your, for work or for your occupation? And when they asked me that question, and I told them that I was a pastor, you should have saw their face. Uh -huh. They, they, they were genuinely in shock. And they, in fact, they said to me, you don't look like a pastor. And I, I was intrigued by the conversation. So I asked them, well, what does a pastor look like? They began to tell me that a pastor should be having on three-piece suits, cufflinks, and gaiters. <laughs> I said, that ain't me. I wear cut-ups and sneakers. And, and, and then, you know, I, I wanted to find out, you know, not just what they thought about a pastor externally, but I wanted to I wanted to know what they thought a pastor does. What, what is the responsibilities of a pastor? And so I said, well, what, what do you think a pastor does, you know, with his time? And they said, a pastor's job is to get, I'm quoting, a pastor's job is to get Christians to stop sinning. I believe what they meant is that a pastor's job is to get those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ to actually look like Jesus Christ. Well, what they were professing was, what, what, was that a pastor's job is to Make sure that members are seeking spiritual growth and seeking spiritual maturity. And that's exactly what Paul's going to do today. Paul is doing exactly what those teenagers are saying. Paul is trying to get Christians in Rome to stop sinning. And he does it so well because, you know, one of the things Paul really often does is he, he presents us with good theology. He presents us with the idea uh, in Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5 that we are justified. Y'all have heard me say there ain't nothing new that we are justified, we are deemed righteous by faith. But now he moves in chapter 6 from justification to sanctification. In other words, he's saying, now that you've professed faith in Jesus, how do you walk that out? Now that you have professed faith in Jesus, how do you live that out? What does spiritual maturity look like? Because here's the reality. Many of you in this room look just like you looked when you first met Jesus. 
And God is sitting back like, you should be growing. Like if I had a baby, an infant, and, and, and we looked at that infant two years from now, we, we shouldn't see it still on milk with a pacifier. I know some of us do, but we shouldn't. you shouldn't be walking around with a pacifier. At some point, we expect the child to grow up. At some point, we expect that child to get out the house. My son should say amen right there and get a job and move out and go to college and get married. And you expect them to grow up. None of us would have the expectation that they would stay an infant all their life. But that's what many of us have done in our spiritual walk. We've remained spiritually immature. And it's like you've been a Christian for 10 years and you still look the same way. And so Paul is going to move us today. From the fact that you are deemed righteous in God through Christ Jesus, by faith alone, through grace alone. Amen. Praise God. Great. Now let's move on to the next chapter. What does sanctification? And here's the thing about sanctification and spiritual growth. You never stop growing until God comes back for you. Or until you die. That's the only, you never, there is never a moment, I don't care if you are 115 years old, you should be growing Every single day in your sanctification, you should be growing in your walk. And Paul is going to get at us today, and I love him because he does it with two questions. And then he doesn't even wait for them to answer. He asks two rhetorical questions. He says, I know y'all fools don't know the answer, so I'm going to give you the answer. Look at what he says in verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Doesn't let them answer. He says, absolutely not. How can we, who are dead to sin, still live in it? But Paul basically is, is saying, even though you've met Jesus, this isn't a license for you to continue to operate the way you used to operate before you met Jesus. You should be growing. In chapter 5, we rejoiced over a verse. I don't, I don't know if y'all remember this verse. Check your notes. Maybe you wrote this verse down. Verse 20 in chapter 5, we rejoiced over where it says, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Many of you could have just quoted that as soon as I said, where sin increased, you're like, grace abounds. All the more, our grace multiplies, our grace overcomes sin. And we rejoice over that. And the reason we, sh we rejoice over that, rightfully so, because we realize we bring a lot of mess to the table. Okay, I need somebody that's not deep. You know, once we meet Jesus, that doesn't mean your life is now absent of pride. Once you meet Jesus, your life is not absent of lust. Once you meet Jesus, your life is not absent of anger and your life is not absent of arrogance. But I need somebody to be honest that can testify and say, yes, I met Jesus, but I still mess up sometimes. Yes, I'm, yes I met Jesus, but I still full up in that dysfunctional relationship. Yes, I met Jesus, but can y'all be honest? Yes, I'm single, but I still wrestle with my flesh over and over. Yes, I met Jesus, but even as a married man or a married woman, I still got lust lingering in my heart. I need somebody to be honest that you don't meet Jesus and then everything is erased. No, you got to wrestle. You got dysfunctions in you. But I love God because when we do mess up, what verse 20 of chapter 5 says is that grace catches us. The moment you fall, God is there and he slaps grace onto your life. And we rejoice and we sing about it, how amazing grace is because it's unmerited. It's unearned. You don't deserve it. You should be dead. The moment you sin, you should have died. But God gave you grace and we rejoice over that verse. But there's another group of people that doesn't rejoice over that verse. They become what I call grace abusers. Okay, you never met a grace abuser. 
Uh, a grace abuser is someone who, who knows that Jesus Christ has saved them and they know that built into the fabric of their relationship is an overwhelming, overflowing love of grace. And that person then looks at grace and says, I can live a reckless life. Because the verse just said to me in chapter 5 that where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. So therefore, let me help grace to actually operate. So therefore, I'm going to continue to operate in sin because when I do, grace is there. It's a grace abuser. A grace abuser is someone who looks at sin as a license to live a reckless life. And Paul corrects and challenges that thinking. Paul basically, in our text, verses 1 through 14, says you clearly are misunderstanding grace. And... You're underestimating sin because you're playing with something that you think I'm going to always be around and give you grace. But at the end of the day, you don't see what I want to cause us to do is really examine ourselves. And, and I know you sitting there going, Pastor, don't don't make me question whether I'm a Christian or not. But Paul says in Second Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Because in other words, if you can keep on sinning with no conviction, there might be something there. And we've become so good at allowing our friends that have professed faith to operate in a lifestyle of sin, and we do it without questioning them because we don't want to seem judgmental. Because we don't want to seem judgmental, we're not going to pull them aside, but some of you need to pull your friends aside and say, you ain't looking like a blood-bought believer. You ain't looking like somebody that has professed faith in Jesus. You ain't looking like somebody that has died to sin. You look like you look before you profess faith in Jesus. So Paul is going to get... At us today, he's going to get at the grace abusers, and he does it with the strongest no in the New Testament. He says, absolutely not. Did you notice the question, the exclamation point? He says, absolutely not. How can you, who are dead to sin, live in it? Paul is like, my gospel is not one of cheap grace. My, my gospel is not one that, that allows you to operate in sin. My gospel is not one that says you can be in a relationship with God, but still live a whole other Life And I'm concerned if I'm honest with you guys. I know we got visitors here today, but I have to pass through the room and hear me and hear me cl clearly. I'm not only concerned, I'm scared for some of the stuff I've seen in this church. Now, it's not across the board, but I wouldn't be your pastor if I didn't be honest with you that some of you have let sin reign supreme in your life. You've become there's a there's a level. There's a level of comfortability with sin that scares me. There's a level with flaunting my old life that scares me. There's a, there's a level of enjoyment with sin that scares me. And the question on hand is, does it scare you? Does it scare you? If I was able to live a life of sin with no conviction, I would be scared. I would be like, God, do I really have a relationship with you? But here's what he's calling you to do today. He's calling you to grow up. He's calling you, my, 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 my brother, he's calling you to grow up. My, my dear sweet sister, he's calling you to grow up. Look at somebody and say, grow the heck up. Like, like you, you, you still ain't got no accountability. You, you still fooling around. You still messing around in that relationship. You know she ain't good for you, but you still going over her house. You still sleeping around. You still on your laptop in the middle of the night. Look at somebody and say, grow up. Because that's what God is requiring from you today. He's requiring you to grow up because you've got comfortable with a double life. On Sundays, we get the you, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You know how to cry. You know how to lift your hands by Sunday night. You got a whole nother you. 
You gotta, it's a whole, we don't even know who that person is. And, but we, we get the spiritual you on Sundays and you got us all full. But God is pulling your card today. Because you do not have him fooled. Your double life is God will not have it because Exodus 34, put Bible here. He says, I'm a jealous God. You will not have another God over you because you know your flesh is a God over you. When you See, that's the thing about it. When you submit yourself to your flesh, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't need you to rule over my life because I got something ruling over me. And you've been comfortable, and I know you're sitting there going, I cannot see myself outside of this sin. I've been, I've been in it so long, it's become functional dysfunction. In fact, it's not even sin, it's just a part of who I am. No, devil is a liar. God has more for you. God wants more for you. And hear me, my brother, you can do it. My sister, you, you can actually, you can walk away, but you need discipline. And you ain't got discipline because you're baby Huey. You're a big spiritual man in pampers. That's what you are. Your spiritual life is still vomiting and pooping on yourself. But, but God is calling you to say, he's calling you to grow up. Again, look at your neighbor and say, grow up. That's what he's calling you to, and you've got us all fooled. And what we've done is, now I know what you're doing. You're sitting there going, Pastor, while you're talking, I'm thinking about the, the outward visible sins. I, I'm, you're talking about sex. But you know, there's other sins that we've considered functional and we've said it considered normal but they actually need to be put to death today okay let me, let me go down a little bit of a list not long gluttony is a sin okay see we see many of us overeat but but we don't we don't consider that a sin you know that's just as much as a sin as you having sex huh but that's what we do not just you know we reduce gluttony and overindulgence to just food some of you drink too much. Okay, okay. Now notice I'm not, y'all got real quiet there. Preach. But, but, but let, let me explain what happened. See, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that drinking is a sin. I wouldn't go there. You know why I wouldn't go there? Because there's so many, you know Paul tells Timothy at one point, stop drinking the water because it's bad for your stomach. Have a little wine. That's good discipleship right there. So go ahead have you a little wine. Not only that, but, but there, there's text in like Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7 that says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. I'll submit to that one. <laughs> For God has already approved what you do. Even Jesus Christ himself not only turns water into wine, but there's one point where he's arguing with the, uh, the Jews and the Pharisees. And he says to them, he says, you know, John the Baptist came to you neither eating nor drinking, and you called him a demon. He says, but the Son of Man came to you both eating and Y'all better know our Lord and Savior. <laughs> and so, so, what we, so what we've done, I'm not saying that drinking is a sin, but you've been overindulging. You gotta go to bed with a beer. You gotta have that cocktail to unwind. And why? Oh, I just need to be nice. I just gotta get tipsy. <laughs> but why would you want to be under the influence of something else? You got another. You got another Lord over your life because you have you. You can't function through life without drinking. It's an overindulgence. It's gluttony at the end of the day. Some of you are. Overindulging in shopping. Y'all know y'all got an ASOS package coming. Some of y'all looking at your phone going, did it come? Did it get there? Did somebody sign for it? That black and white package is the devil 
Some of y'all got that coming every other day. It's an overindulgence. It's considered gluttony. Some of you are overindulging on social media. You wake up, you ain't got no time for the Lord, but you check that news feed, you check them likes, you see who looked at that Insta story, and at the end of the day, what you're doing is you are overindulging. And so we only look at sins as don't drink, don't smoke weed, don't have sex, and we be like, I mean, God is good, but what about the overindulgence in your life? Some of you need to make this list and write it down. Here, here's another one. Write this one down. Procrastination that leads to disobedience. See, because what we do is we be like, you know what the Bible says, I need to count the cost. But there's a thin line between counting the cost and being disobedient. God has called you to do something, but you're too busy procrastinating. He said back going, you're disobedient, and all disobedience is sin. And many of us are in sin because God called us, but we like, ah, oh, just I'm not ready. I need more time. You're disobedient. Disobedience is sin. Write this one down. Self-righteousness. Many of us look down on others as though you're so fly, as though you're that dude. We are self-righteous. We, we do not lean on the righteousness of Christ. We've leaned on our own wisdom. At the end of the day, you are self-righteous. I love the way John chapter 16, verse 8 says it where it says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us, watch this, of sin and self-righteousness. The Holy Spirit don't just come to convict you of having sex. The Holy Spirit comes to convict you of you thinking that you are more religious than everybody else. See, in some of us, we've become good at repenting over the outward sins, but you ain't good at repenting over your self-righteousness. All of these are little sins that we've said are part of our life, but... He's calling us to die to it today. There needs to be a spiritual funeral as some of you have allowed your old life to be on life, life support. You, you just want to go back to it, but today he's calling you to pull the plug. He's calling you to disconnect from your old life. And I, I love the language that he uses here because the language that he uses lets me know that death is the only thing that is appropriate for your old life. Okay, look at what he says. Verse number three, are y'all still with me? Yes. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized, here it is, into his what? Yes. Into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into his what? Into his death. In order that Jesus Christ was raised from the what? Y'all got to follow along with me. By the glory of the Father so that uh, we may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his, here it is again, death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old selves was crucified, that's death, with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to it. Do you see the words that are used here to describe your old life? Death, crucified, baptized, enslaved to sin. In fact, I did the math for you between verses 1 through verse 14, here's how many times he uses words. Crucified is used once. Death is used five times. Died, died, or dead is used ten times. A total of 16 times he has a reference in 14 small verses to your old life dying. And we play with what God told you to kill. He told the reason you keep going back to it is because that old man is still alive. You got him lingering out there. You 
pulling him along to parties. And, but here's the, you become a chameleon. You become good at switching on Sundays. So we got us all fooled. But then Sunday night, you got the old man out. Verse 4 says, you were baptized into his death. You know what baptism is? Baptism, yes, it is an outward. It's nothing mystical. It's an outward sign that you were saved. But the reason we do it by immersion, meaning I don't pour water on you. I don't sprinkle you. I put you in. A, and it would be so much easier. Like Gabe would rejoice if all I had to do was take a bowl, put my hand in it, and sprinkle, and you, and you and God was good. But no, what we do is we pull out that pool, and we baptize you. Why? Because the pool represents a grave. And you are put into the grave, and when you come up, there should be a new life in you. Your old man should have stayed in the grave. But unfortunately, we've allowed that old man to linger in our lives and Many of us, that's why we're not growing up, because we, we're too busy holding on to both of them. The, the hospitality team is so gracious. They, they give me this napkin so I don't have my T.D. Jake sweat up here. That get ready, get ready sweat. They, they give me this napkin. Now, here, here's the question I have for you. Be honest with me. What color is this napkin? Okay, y'all not. What color is the napkin? We can all agree that it's white. Now, if, if I did a little illustration up here, which I don't have time to do, but if I put a little table up here and had a bowl of red dye, and I took this napkin, and I dipped it inside the red dye, and I wrung it out, and I put it up here, nobody, you would be a fool to say that the napkin is now white. You would say it's red. And somebody that comes next week, if it stayed up here, would say it's red. And somebody that came two months from now wouldn't even know that it was white. They would only know it as red. And many of you have been dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ, but you ain't looking like Christ. You look like your old life. Put it to death. Many of you in here are professing faith in Jesus, but there's a disconnect between your profession and your demonstration. You look different than what you say. You look like your old life, but he's calling us a blood-bought believer. He's calling you to look like Jesus. And looking like Jesus doesn't mean you can be sinless. He was, but I pursue him, and I keep going after him. And every time I go after him, I'm exposed with the fact that I'm a sinner. Every time I go after him, I'm exposed with the fact that there's a disconnect between what, what Jesus looks like in me, and I strive. And I strive. There's always a constant kneeling. There's never a moment that you're at the foot of the cross going, I'm good. I'm chilling. I made it. No, there's always a kneeling and praying and pleading with God to crucify that old self. Those are the words that he decides to use. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not interested. I'm not. I promise you. I'm not interested in pastoring the cool church. I'm just not. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I, I could care less about that. I'm interested in pastoring the church that is being crucified and dying daily. That's what I'm, every morning you wake up, you got to say crucify that flesh because I know him. Oh, you don't know you. That's the problem. I know me and every morning I got to say, God, kill that thing. Because if you allow that to linger, if you allow that to stay, I'm, I'm going to uh, submit to its lordship in my life. What does Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 say? For I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We've allowed the flesh to operate where we go. You've allowed the flesh to operate the decisions you make and you wonder why the decisions are not good decisions because you're not walking in the spirit. So he uses words like death and crucified and, 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 and don't be enslaved to sin and you can do it 
I promise you can do it. You can over, you don't have to submit to that old life. I know you feel like I've been in it so long, it's no way I can see and fathom my life outside of it, but you can do it. Look at your neighbor and say, you, you can overcome it. You, you can walk away from that sinful relationship. You don't have to submit to the old ways of life. Yes, it takes discipline, but you can walk away from it. You ain't got to be full of pride. You ain't got to be overeating. You ain't got to be sleeping and being lazy. All of these things hinder our relationship with the Lord. There's two words that he uses in verse 12 and verse 14. Y'all still with me? Verse 12, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign. Okay. Verse 14, he says, for sin will not rule over you. In other words, those things are ruling, your flesh is ruling and it's reigning over you. And here's the thing, if the throne is occupied by something, Christ don't want it. Christ only wants a throne. See, it's not enough room in your heart for two thrones. It can only be one. And Christ wants to sit on it. So in other words, if Christ wants to sit on it, you got to dethrone your flesh. You got to dethrone that thing that is causing you to walk down the wrong path because God is like, I'm not, I'm just not going to share you. Again, because I'm jealous, because I, I, I just don't see my life as a, co, a, a co-lord over your life. I'm not a co-lord. I'm the Lord. I'm the king of kings. So you got another king in your heart. You got to dethrone him. Put me over your heart. And my hunch is, my hunch is that you know the areas in your life that are dysfunctional and don't line up with your profession. You, like, you, when you came in today and you heard the topic, you, you knew the areas. When I said, are you really dead to sin? You know the areas that is keeping you. Because here's the thing. The space in your life, when the Bible says, die to sin, if you just die to sin, that space has to be occupied with something else. But it also says in verse 11, die to sin and live for God. Verse 11 says, be alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the way that you overcome sin is not just killing it, but also seeing your newness of life in Jesus Christ. That, that's how you overcome it. And many of you need to go home and write a list out. And the whole list needs to be, what are the distractions that are keeping me from developing a deeper appetite for Jesus? What am I eating that has me so full that I have no room for Jesus Christ? What are the areas that I am allowed to function as part of who I am that I need to move out of the way so that I make room for Jesus? I know you know what those areas are. I know you know what the things that you need to repent of, and repentance meaning turning away from it. What are those areas? And some of you, it's not a moment. It's not an event. It's a person. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 3? He says, oh, foolish Galatian, who bewitched you? Not what? Because what happened was he knows that it can always be traced to a person. Some of you can trace back why in the world you are going down that wrong path. You can trace it back to a person. You can trace it back to some friends. You can trace it back to that boo. You can trace it back to that husband that's not yours. You can trace it back to that wife that's not. You can always trace it back to someone. And at the end of the day, you're walking in your flesh. You're not walking in the things of God. So are you really dead to sin? Are you allowing your old life to be on life support? And you pull him out when you want to enjoy life. And you want to let your hair down. You pull him out then. But Christians, Christians don't let their hair down. What does that even mean? 
As a black man, what does that even mean? Well, we don't let our hair down. Somebody said we can't. Y'all still say that. <laughs> Listen to me. I promise you what God is calling for is a newness of life. And I know this was a, a rougher sermon than I normally preach, but I felt like pastoring today because I'm tired of the double lives. I am. I'm, I'm tired of you serving and, 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 and showing up and acting like everything's good, but you're, 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 you're not. Are you a believer? Like, have you, have you really professed faith in Jesus? Because if you're a believer, and I know what we do. We say, I go to the church that preaches grace. And so because they preach grace, we can do whatever we want over there. The devil is a liar, not over here. You need to walk in the newness of life. You need to kill your old self. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're about to have a funeral. That's what we're about to have right now. We're going to have a funeral because there are many of you in here that have professed faith in Jesus, but you don't look like you have. I want to call an altar call today. I want to be very specific in that altar call. It is for people that know that your life is inconsistent. It's for people that know that your life has a king over it that is not Christ. It's for people that secretly have everyone else fooled. But your life is inconsistent. If that's you, we don't got a lot of time. We got another service. Can you run to this altar? I, nothing, run to this altar if you know. If you know that I'm talking to you, the whole sermon you're going, does he know? No, but God does. That's you come to, and here's the thing. Some of you are serving, and you're like, I'm not going to go because I got to get up. I, I got to serve. But your life is inconsistent. Get it right today. Not tomorrow, not next week. Tomorrow I see you coming. Tomorrow's not promised. You need to get it right today. There's somebody else. Let's play something soft. There's somebody else in here. You know I'm talking to you. You need to walk away from that sin. Young lady, you need to walk away from that sin. Young man, she's killing you. Destroying you. Been comfortable in it. It's been okay. It's been it's it's been functional for you. But hell is hot and long. Okay. I see you coming. I see you coming. I see you coming. You got time. If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. Those are the words of our savior. Somebody needs to acknowledge. You standing up is announcing the funeral. You getting up here is saying, I'm dethroning that king today. You getting up here is saying, that thing will not rule me anymore. I am going to live for Christ and Christ alone. Who is it that I'm talking to? I see you coming. I'm not worried about time. Come up here if that's you. Thank you, young man. Father, I thank you for each person that's on this altar. Lift your hands on this altar, y'all. If you're on this altar, lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I pray these young brothers that are professing faith in you and professing that they want to live for you and professing that they do not want their lives to be marked by bad decisions and unhealthy attachments and secret sins and dysfunction. Now, these young ladies that are being honest today, they're saying, I, I, I want to, I really do, I want to walk after Christ. 
pray that you would help them to realize that they've got the Holy Ghost living in them. If they've professed faith in Jesus, they've got you living in them. And Father, because you live in them, may that be the throne that's over their heart. Because what's been influencing us hasn't been good. Father, forgive us. I pray for repentance on this altar. Somebody is confessing sins now. Someone has that sin on their mind. They really haven't told anybody about it. They've been quiet on it. But Father, I pray, oh God, today that you would give them the power to walk away. One of the things I love, Lord, about Genesis 3 is that when we did fall, you crushed our enemy. That's the, that's the beauty in the gospel. It's not just that we are saved, but that our enemy is defeated. So, Father, they don't have to live that old life. Father, help us to stop playing with you. I'm not just talking to those on the altar now. Father, help those in this room that are under the sound of my voice to stop playing with you. Because at the end of the day, you are calling us to spiritual maturity. You're calling us to growth. You're calling us to look like your son, Jesus. And that takes discipline, Lord. We know it. Would you give them the strength that they need? That takes wisdom. Father, you told us that we can ask you for wisdom and you give it to us generously. So, Father, would you give wisdom on this altar? Would you give endurance on this altar? And also, Lord, help them not to beat themselves up. We're so influenced and infected with sin. Help them not to beat themselves up because, Lord, at the end of the day, grace is there for them. May they take full advantage and walk away and say, I'm never doing that again. Not, not because of the consequence of my sin, but because I love you so much that I hate the sin. Like, that's the, type of, that's the type of newness of life we want to walk in to where we don't tolerate sin, but we hate it. Build testimonies on this altar, oh God. A year from now, may we look back and be like, I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you was in that because you have redeemed them and purchased them and restored them in such a way that we don't even know what they was. The cloth is red. It's not white anymore. So, Father, I pray, oh God, for newness of life on this altar. And at the end of the day, Lord, they need accountability. They need somebody else in their life that is calling them out on sin. I know we hate it, but Father, we need it. We need somebody else in our life that offends us because they call us out too much. But Father, help us not to run to the ones that tolerate it. Let us lead us every time, lead us down the path to the one that's going to say, you dead wrong. You, need, you are a blood-bought believer and you need to operate as one. You need to walk in that newness of life that you told me you so, Father, we need you. We thank you. We, we thank you, O God, for your spirit being in this room. Thank you for your spirit being in us. And, Father, I pray, O God, that we would be doers of the word and that's yours only. Bless you to feed our souls. Through Christ's name we pray.